Hey, welcome to Cold Springs Church. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Cold Springs, and I'm so glad that you are here uh, joining us. Uh, did anybody notice my shirt I'm wearing? Uh, it's a little, yeah, thank you very much. He said it was from the 80s, 90s, 1979 oh, 1979 called. So one of the privileges I have is, is that I get to work with leaders in uh, Africa, particularly East and West Africa, and I just was there this spring. I'm going to go back this fall, um, but I was in Ghana. And so this shirt is from Ghana, from my uh, brothers and sisters there in Ghana. And uh, it's, it's an awesome shirt. I love this shirt. So, um, and I thought I'd wear it today. I, I, I wore a couple of other ones earlier, and I said, but wait, there's more. So I was making you wait um, for, the, for this one. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray together before we open up God's Word together. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Um, thank you for us being here in this place. Thank you for your spirit um, that is here in our midst to encourage us, to challenge us, to strengthen us, and thank you for your word that you use in our lives. And Lord, we, we pray that you, we would have the mind and the heart to hear and to respond to what you're going to do. Give us an ex expecting heart and mind to hear from you today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're doing a, a series called Foundations, of looking at the importance of foundations and what are the foundations for us here at Cold Springs Church. What are some of the important things that we stand upon and we build our ministry and our lives upon? And um, as I was thinking about today, I remembered a story from a number of years ago. From uh, I was at a hardware store here in, in, in our town, and uh, and there was, I was overhearing a conversation that was happening between a couple of guys as we were waiting to check out. Now, Placerville, right, old hangtown, you know, center of the gold country, you know, gold movement, 1849, goes all the way back there. So there are still buildings and houses that are really, really old here. And one of the guys was talking about his house or house that he had that, um, and the foundation that it was sitting on. And the foundation that this house he had was sitting on were four big rocks, one under each corner. And apparently there had been some issues because after, you know, apparently 100 years or so, things start moving a little bit. And so he was having to deal with foundation issues. And anybody who's ever had to deal with foundation issues knows how important a foundation is. And, and for our lives... Foundations are really important. I also was um, in my noticing the news this last week. I saw a story that made me think about this whole thing of foundations. Anybody here like roller coasters? Anybody roller coaster people? Bless you, you will not see me with you on them. I mean, I look at a roller coaster and I start throwing up. I mean, it's just like my brain just goes sideways with roller coasters. So here's a roller coaster. You see that picture up there on the, on the screen. And, and this particular roller coaster is found on the, the border of North and South Carolina. It's called the Fury 325, right? It's, it's, a, it's a massive roller coaster in this massive park. Now let me read to you a quote by a guy by the name of Jerry Wagner. I'm not an engineer, but that's not right. See, Jerry was riding the roller coaster when he went by one of the foundation posts and noticed there happened to be a bit of a crack. 
And also notice that when they went by, that, that crack moved. And that was his quote. I'm not an engineer, but that's not right. And so he got off of the roller coaster. He informed the you know, employee's company that you know, there might be an issue going on up there. Nobody seemed to be too concerned about it. So he eventually called the fire department, which became very concerned about it, and shut the thing down. Because the Fury 325 is, quote, the tallest, fastest, longest giga coaster in North America with a peak height of 325 feet and reaching 95 miles per hour. A giga roller coaster has a drop between 300 and 399 feet. So, you know, loaded up, people riding the roller coaster, and he had commented that his daughter had been on it like nine times that day. And yet, you see a little bit more of a close-up here of that, this isn't a crack, this is a fissure, this is a, this is a break in the foundation of holding up something that you're riding on going 95 miles an hour and dropping, you know, 322 feet. Foundations happen to be important. Now, here's the thing also about foundations. Because foundations are going to be tested. Your foundation, the things that you are basing your life to hold you up, are going to be tested. And I don't know all of your story. I know some of your stories here, but I don't know all of your stories. But how many of you would say that when you look at the picture of the roller coaster, that's a pretty good description of maybe where you are in life right now? And, and you might be on, on the creeping upside, you know, but you know that the drop is coming. Or you might be in the place where you feel like you're going 95 miles an hour into a corner. And you look over and you're like, oh, dang, there's a crack. And you feel that foundation being tested. The foundation that you stand on will be tested. There's a story in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5. Now, if you don't know the story of, of, of Daniel, Daniel is somebody who has been captured. He's a, a, a Jewish man. He was a Jewish boy. He was captured by an invading forces. He was taken into captivity by the Babylonians and that, um, in, because he was one of the up-and-coming. He was a smart young man. He was a bright young man. And so they took him and his friends into captivity in order to raise them up in order to serve within their government. And so he rose to promise because he was sharp, he was blessed by God. And the book of Daniel is about these stories about his interactions, basically, as a person not in the place that he wants to be, not in the people that he wants to be with, but being there on mission for God. And there's a story in Daniel chapter 5 where King Belshazzar, um, who gave a great feast, it says, for 1,000 of his nobles. Now, that is a dance party. I mean, that's a, that's a big party going on. And so you can tell that this is somebody who has a lot of power, has a lot of authority. I mean, if he has 1,000 nobles 
serving him, then he's the big dog. And as they're all gathered together and they're having this party, one of the things that he did is, is that he brought some of the instruments that the Babylonians had stolen from the temple in Jerusalem when they had conquered the city. And they used them as serving dishes. They used them to drink their wine and to have their party. And God didn't forget. And so all of a sudden, as they're all partying, what happens is, is this, this disembodied hand shows up over by the wall. So just sort of imagine, you know, from my elbow down, you know, all of a sudden detaching, going over to the wall and starting to write. It would probably get your attention, as it did for everybody in the room. And it wrote these series of words. And, and of course, the king is freaking out because this is an unusual circumstance, and and so he calls all of his wise people to say, what do these words mean? What does this mean? Nobody can figure it out. So they finally figure it out, go talk to Daniel, because Daniel knows the stuff. And Daniel comes in, and in Daniel chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, it says this, or sorry, in uh, verses uh, 24 to 28, it says, so God has sent this hand to write this message. This is the message that was written, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. And this is what these words mean. Mene means numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign and has brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. Ooh, ouch. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how po much power you have. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter how much influence you have. Your foundations will be tested. And the question will, will it be is, is it, will it be like King Belshazzar's? Is it, you have been weighed and found wanting. Now, Jesus gives us some indication in our life of where those tests are going to come from. What are the shape of some of those tests or the foundation that we are going to experience? And if you look in your Bible, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first book that talks about the story of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first book in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins to tell a number of stories uh, using a metaphor, particularly of seeds, in this. And the beginning of these stories is that it might be titled in your Bible, The Parable of the Sower. I always like it's more the parable of the soils, because he's talking about the soils, that, that there's the seed of God is being planted, the seed of the kingdom is being planted, and it's falling on different soils, and those soils determine what happens to the seed. The seed is good, the seed is powerful, it's the kingdom of God. You can't compromise the seed of the kingdom of God. The question is, is it what is the soil that is falling on? And in this, it gives indication of what kind of tests that your foundation is going to have. And so in the story, the first story of, of this is that the first soil it falls on is the hard soil. 
And Jesus says that the seed that falls on the hard soil, that Satan comes and he snatches the seed up and it doesn't take any root. And so one of the first tests, the foundation is, is that where is your heart? How is your heart? See, because here's the, here's the good news, bad news, right? The bad news is there's a hard soil, hard heart. Seed can't get in there. The good news is, is that God invites us to partner with him to be open to his work in our life. And you have the choice of whether you're going to do that or not. And if you have anger and bitterness and rage, if you have, are closed off in your thinking, then you have a hard heart. That the, the seed of God's kingdom, no matter, it can fall on there, but it's not going to have any root. And, and Satan's just waiting. He just wants to take it away. That's a test. How's your heart? Is it hard? So the next soil that Jesus talks about is, called, is, is rocky soil. And so the seed falls into the rocky soil, and there's a little bit of soil, but there's not much. And so what the seed does is that the roots begin to grow, and they, and they go down just a little bit. They spread out, but it can't hold any water. And so it sprouts up quickly, and then it dies away because there's no roots that go deep. And so, I mean, what's the soil for you. I mean, maybe you've been humble enough to say, yeah, I'm in need because you might be in crisis. And so it's like, yeah, I need you. I need you. I need you, Jesus. But you don't have to go very deep before it's like, no, I need you because of me, not because of you, Jesus. The third soil that he talks about is what I would call the contaminated soil. And the contaminated soil is soil that has all of these weeds in it. Thorns is what Jesus uses, I think, in particular. And so, so what happens is, is that, you know, water comes down, the seed goes on there, then everything starts growing up. But the thorns, the weeds grow up, and they choke out the good seed. And so it ends up dying. And Jesus makes it really clear what these thorns are, what these weeds are that choke out good seed seed and good fruit in our life. And he says it's this, cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world is that we get consumed by what's right in front of us, that we lose sight of God and his kingdom and his work and his power and his glory in our life. And then the riches of this world where we pursue more and in pursuing more of that, there's no room to pursue God. And we're deceived because we think, well, that'll be the thing that will sustain me. That'll be the foundation that holds up. And then the fourth soil is the good soil. And Jesus says, well, with the good soil, this, this bears fruit. In, in fact, it can bear fruit of a hundred times of what has been planted in it because it is blessed. So as you think about that, just again, sort of taking a moment to evaluate your life of the foundation... In the testing of your foundation, are you facing any of those? Which, which, one would you, which one would you face? You see, the thing that we have to realize, and the thing that I really want us to sort of lean into today is this, is that your foundation is only as strong as your community. Your foundation is only as strong as your community. 
Now, I want to acknowledge something really clearly here. That is completely countercultural to the world and the nation that we live in. Because the world and nation that we live in says it's about you and you and you. It's about you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Make your own way. Make your own future. Your foundation is only as strong as your community. Again, going back to the words of Jesus found in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, he gives another story, metaphor, of the kind of foundation that we are building. He says there's two foundations. One is the foundation of rock, and he talks about building a house. And when we build a house upon the rock, when it is tested, he talks about the storms come, that the storms come against that, the rivers flow, the water flows, the winds blow, but the house stands firm because it's built upon the rock. He says, but there's another foundation that people build on, and that is the foundation of sand. And they build their house on the sand, and when the storms come, when the rain, winds come, when the rains come, and it gets tested, the foundation gets tested, the house falls down. And Jesus says the difference between a solid foundation and a sand foundation is this. Those who hear my words and do them build their house on a solid foundation. Those who hear my words and don't do them build their house on a sand foundation. Remember I said that, that God invites us into a partnership with him? That he is always faithful. He is going to speak. He is going to plant the seeds of his kingdom. Our work is to hear, but not just to hear, but to live to do, to engage. There's a quote that I um, read here recently in a, in a book uh, that has really been messing with me. It's been really going deep within me. And it's from uh, a woman um, by the name of uh, St. Clair of Assisi from 1194. She lived between 1194 and 1253. That was before me, just so you know. She's older than I am, so wait for me. Um, and St. Clair of Assisi, she said these words, we become what we love and who we love shapes what we become. We become what we love and who we love shapes what we become. What we become. Now, a really easy one here is, is that, think about this, is that if you love yourself most, you become a narcissist. Because it's all about you. It's, it's all about me, 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 you know, my needs, my wants, my desires. We become what we love. And who we love shapes what we become. Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Oh, and the second, which is equal to it, which is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. You put that next to this. We become what we love and who we love shapes what we become. 
when we love Jesus most, when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbors ourselves, you know what we become? We become the beloved of God. We become the beloved of God. It's like, wait a minute, you mean if I love elsewhere, then I am loved more? Yes. Or actually, we've come to realize how much we are loved by our Heavenly Father. We become what we love, and who we love shapes what we become. And we can only do that by being together. We can only do that by being together. The fa- your foundation is only as strong as your community. So how do we develop that community? How do we have that community? By being together. Let's just take a, a little bit of a stroll through the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts in the New Testament is the story of the, of the early church as it's beginning, as it's starting. I mean, there's no buildings. <laughs> there's no structures. It's just people who've encountered Jesus who are trying to figure out, now what do we do this? How do we follow Jesus together? In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. So this is right after Jesus, is, Jesus has, has died, he's, he's resurrected, and there's this group of 120 people, which is the foundation of the church. They're the reason why you and I are sitting here today, 120 people. Pretty amazing to think about, 2,000 years ago. 120 people gathered together in one place, and we gather together in one place here. And Peter stands up and speaks to them. Acts 2, chapter 1, um, or chapter 2, verse 1, he says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. The day of Pentecost is the day the Holy Spirit came upon them, and there's this extraordinary experience. And what, what, what is going on with the believers? They are together in one place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. The beginning of the church, the power of the church was together in one place. And God did extraordinary things. And that last verse in, um, in, in Acts 2.44 is this descriptive verse of, of the people of God gathering together in the temple courts and they're sharing with each other the things that each other needs in order that needs are met. And, and God is just blessing the spirits moving in their midst when they are together in one place. Now, when you continue to read the book of Acts, you see that the church then just blows up. It just continues to grow. Like, you know, one day, 2,000 people come to faith in Jesus. It's sort of hard then for all together in one place, right? But that all together in one place principle continues to multiply as the church spreads. So what does community look like practically? How do we do that? How do we live that? And I want to give you sort of an image for you to think about as as I, I talk about this. I want you to think about a funnel, okay? The community can be seen as a funnel. Now, the top of the funnel is what I would call church. The very thing that we're doing here today. Good job. 
all together in one place. That's awesome. We get to sing together. We get to worship together. We get to laugh together. We get to encourage each other, pray together, all together in one place. That is what we call church. And that is a, a critical and important expression of community. But the problem is a lot of us can stop there. We can say, okay, well, I'm in community. Yes and no. It's, it's sort of the, the, the loosest part of community. You see, if you keep going down on the funnel, then, then the next is e- events. And events are where you're gathered together in one place with a smaller group of people. So Pastor Steve talked about, you know, there's a men's barbecue happening on um, Friday or breakfast on Saturday. We switched back and forth. Which one is it? Barbecue. Thank you. Barbecue. I was paying attention. I was listening, by the way. It's all on the website. Just check there. That's an event. And so we have different women's events that we do where women come together in one place and they talk and they, and, and they learn and they grow together in a smaller setting. There's things for our youth. There's things for our young adults. There's things for our seniors. There, uh, once a month on Wednesday, we have a senior lunch that we host where we come together in one place. All of those are an expression of, of community. But then there's another level we can go down into the funnel of community, and that is our life groups. We talked about that, so inviting that we'll launch those again. We launch those three times a year. And our life groups are groups that meet in homes or here in the church that are small groups of men, sometimes just men, sometimes just women, sometimes couples, sometimes families, to experience God's word, to experience relationship with one another and to serve our community and our world together. And also an expression of that is our regen ministry, which is our recovery ministry to help to overcome some of the, the deep wounds that we've experienced in our life through our own doing and through others' doing. And then also we have our women's Bible study that, um, where we grow deeper and our women grow deeper in God's word. But then there's serving together. Because when we serve together, we experience, you know, community on a whole different level. We just had a team come back, about 20 people who come back from Mexico, where um, we sponsored them, we sent them down there as emissaries of Cold Spring Church, ambassadors of Cold Spring Church, ambassadors of Jesus, and they built a home for a family. And we shared that video last week, and I think it's online, you can see it, it's an, it's an awesome experience. And you talk to any of those 20 people who lived together, who worked together, who pounded each other's fingers with hammers together, you know, what, you know, did, were they bonded? Did they experience life in a different way? Absolutely. They experienced a deeper level of community because together in one place serving. And then we talk about, we have this thing called 3G faith, third generation faith. Be a disciple of Jesus who makes a disciple of Jesus who makes a disciple of Jesus. Be a follower of Jesus who helps another person be a follower of Jesus who helps another person be a follower of Jesus. And, and this, is, this is all that we can live out our mission is to raise up compassionate followers of Jesus Christ, to be risk takers for God. Our expression of the great commandment and the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. 
That's our mission. That's, that's what we're about here at Cold Springs Church, those things. And 3G Faith is helping each other to do that in an individual way, to encourage each other to do that. But then the, the bottom of the funnel here is, is what I call three of, of enduring, intentional, meaningful, spiritual friendship. Enduring, intentional, meaningful friendship. Now I want to tell a story about that. But before I do, I want you to understand what I've been, what I've been talking about in a simple way. Church, the top of the funnel is about being around people. And it's important to be around people that are pursuing the things that you are wanting to pursue. And when you come to church, you are around good people and imperfect people and notorious sinful people of which I lead the pack. But it's important that we come and we are around people. But community is when we move from being around people to being with people. And when we are with one another, it is there that we experience the deep transformation of Jesus. The deep transformation of Jesus does not happen when we are just around people. You can go and sneak into a high-level physics course at Stanford University and come out of that course, and you won't be a physicist. You might know more, but you're not going to be a physicist. You can show up to Cold Springs Church every Sunday of your life and live an untransformed life. And you've been around people, but God calls us to be with. Because he is Emmanuel, God who is with us. Enduring, intentional, meaningful spiritual friendship. Um, this was like a, a total gift from God. Uh, I, I lead, a, um, I host a Bible app group for guys um, that, uh, guys, if you're interested in being in it, uh, mark on your welcome card, let me know, and I'll add you into the group. Um, we have about 20, 25 guys that are on there. And um, so daily, we're in God's Word reading, and, and um, a few people comment. The rest of you are lurkers, by the way. That's what I call you, just so you know, lurkers. You're reading in the behind the scenes, but that's okay. I still love you, you can, but you can comment. So one of those is a, a friend of mine, longtime friend, Mike D'Amico, and uh, I asked permission to share this story because he wrote this yesterday in that devotion. He said, I had a turning point years ago with David, Dwight, Nick, and Chris when we went on a guys retreat. It was a 24-hour time period that I invited a group of guys to go deeper into their life of what God was doing in their life at that point and what they wanted to explore together and to gather the wisdom of each other. I was struggling with balancing work, family, and God. Family and God needs for me, them, were not being fulfilled. The group told me what I needed to do. I prayed and God gave me the faith to make it a change I was afraid to do alone. Today I'm living the life of that reset and the God, family, and work balance is sustainable and most importantly working for us all. I will never forget that weekend and the guys who helped me see the light. God is good. 
You will never experience that by being around. You only will experience that by being with. So, here's the thing about community. Community is about practicing love. Community is about practicing love. If you are going to love other people and grow in love with other people, it requires community. Have you ever noticed that it's really easy to love that uncle who shows up once a year for 24 hours and 37 minutes and then goes away? It's like, yeah, I can put up with you that long. (laughs) But have you ever noticed how hard it can be to love the people who live with you, who are right there with you? See, because community, we need community to practice love. Love requires community. Let me read to you a couple of passages from 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Do you know... If, if you sort of think about what Peter says, he says, you have been saved, you have been forgiven, you have been redeemed, you have been restored, you have been strengthened in order that you might love somebody else. That's the outflow of it. In 1 Peter 4.8, he says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Well, why did he have to put that last part on there, right? It's like, oh, I like the first part. It's important. Well, continue to show deep love for each other. Yes. Deep love for each other is going to require covering a multitude of sins. Because that's what love is. Because love is in community. So, very practically, how do you fuel a warm community. Because it's not just good enough to be together. It's important to be with each other. And when we are with each other, that that is a warmth that is inviting and draws the world in. How do you do that? Now, has anybody ever built a fire? Excellent. Good. We do live in the foothills, right? So, um, and I'm an Eagle Scout, so I'm a trained professional in fires. I was also a, pirate, uh, a pyromaniac when I was a kid, too. So I was really good at building fires until I almost burned our house down. Then it was like, you know, things had to come to an end. Do not follow this example, children. Just, uh, just, I'm just giving a story there. But here's the thing is, is that if you're going to build a fire, you need three things. One is you need air. Did you know that? You need air. You need oxygen to fuel that fire. And air, in this, when we take that to the spiritual realm, is, is that that's your environment. What kind of environment are you in that will give air to a fire? The second thing you need is that you need fuel. You need fuel. And the fuel for a fire are your relationships. And here's the thing, is, is that you can have air and you can have fire, and if those, all of those pieces of fuel are scattered all over the place, they're not going to be a fire. There's a third thing that you need as well, though, and that is you need a flame. You need a flame. And the flame isn't you. The flame is the Holy Spirit. And God is always ready 
to light a fire. What he's waiting for is, is that there is fuel and there is air. There is the environment and there are the relationships that are close enough to be able to be a fire to be ignited. And if you're going to stay warm, one of the things you need to do is, is that you need to make sure that the fire doesn't go out. Now, we think, well, that's, 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 that's no big deal if the fire goes out, right? And we just go to, you know, Riley Safeway, buy a lighter, right? We get some matches, we'll, we'll light the fire. You know, if we were like, uh, I don't know, 2,000 years ago, somebody's job in here would be make sure that the fire that we had didn't go out because there was only one holder of the fire. <laughs> and then if you messed up and you let the fire go out, then we're praying for lightning, right? So we can get another fire or you're rubbing sticks together until you get something. There's a keeper of the fire, so don't let the fire go out. We need to do that. And then the other thing to stay warm is to be attentive to the fuel level, to make sure that those relationships are there, that we're fueling the fire in order to continue to stay warm. But also, people being people of the foothills, we know that the fuel, the kind of fuel is important, right? It's like, don't, you, you want to get oak. You want to get some really good cured oak, right? Because if you're burning the, the, the pine, particularly the bad pine, it's like you're up three times a night. You know, somebody's got to get up and keep fueling the fire. So you, you want the quality of fuel. And here's what I, I find is, is that everybody wants quality fuel. They want quality relationships, people that are going to keep them warm. My question to you is, why don't you be what you and others are looking for? You be the quality fuel in the relationships you have. And then the, third, the last thing is you need to take responsibility for the fire. Take responsibility for the fire. When I was in Uganda, I, um, there in the city of Kampala, there's uh, the compound that is, represents one of the kingdoms. I think there's five kingdoms in the country, ancient kingdoms within the country of Uganda. And so it's this big walled um, area, and right outside of the gate, there is this covered area, and there's this big giant fire. And there's a guy who sits there, and that fire has been burning since I'm not sure when, but for a really, really, really long time. It never goes out, because it represents that kingdom, and his job is to make sure the fire never goes out. That's his full-time job, is to sit and make sure the fire never goes out. Because the fire is important. Take responsibility for the fire. Your foundation is only as strong as your community. So one of the things I love to do, I do, is, is coaching. And coaching is a lot about the questions. And so I have three questions that I want to end with. Question for you to actually take the time to think about, to consider. And the first question is this. When's the last time that you had an intentional, meaningful conversation that moved you closer to God and to another person? An intentional, meaningful conversation. When's the last time? 
second question is this. What's, what's one choice that you need to make to create the space for community? Is it an issue of time? It's like, I don't have time. That's a choice. Is it an issue of your emotional willingness? It's like, yeah, man, you know what? That's transparency. That could be dangerous. I might get hurt. That's a choice. I'm not saying it's an easy choice, but it's a choice. Is it an issue of sacrifice? That you're going to have to sacrifice something that is of value to you in order to have something of even greater value of what Jesus says? That is a choice. And I want to acknowledge, I mean, you know, there's extroverts like, yeah, party, community, let's do it. And there's at least half of you are introverts saying, you're scaring the crap out of me right now, and I don't want to do that. And what I'm not saying is this, is that if you're an introvert, man, you need to go to the party. But do you have two, three people that you are intentionally, meaningfully engaging? And if maybe you're the extrovert, you're just living at the top of the funnel. What choice? The last question is this, is what is one thing that you will do this week? What's one thing that you will do this week that will move you deeper into community? Because you have the power to choose. Your foundation is only as strong as your community. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have given us one another. As imperfect as we are, as broken, as sometimes maybe even inconsistent or frustrating we might be, you have given us one another to practice love. And Lord, I pray that we would be, that Cold Springs Church would be a place of authentic community. And that you would help all of us to engage in that in intentional and meaningful ways that would bring glory to you and would bring blessing to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.